The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Holly, I'm not going to start it like I always started saying that this is going to be the best guest in the world and we're going to learn so much. I mean, granted, that's what's going to happen, but I don't want to preface by starting that because then that's usually how I start it every week. It's true. So, so be different. Spice it up a bit. How should I be different? Just be you. Uh, I'm very excited because there are so many different avenues and directions that I think that we can go uh, in our conversation with uh, Sherry Russell. How are you? Good. I'm great. We like to ask this guilt testing question. It's the hardest one that you're going to get. And every other one after that is going to be very easy. Who are you and where did you come from? Traditionally introduce myself in this way. I would say, um, so I'd say, Sherry, uh, my name is Sherry Russell in English. My traditional name is Miskominikwe, which means raspberry girl. And I am um, registered at Yellow Quill First Nation, which was under my dad because of the Indian Act. And my mom was from Kiniston. And I am uh, Anishinaabe, or as the French called us, Soto. It's funny because Johnny, like that was the first question that he wanted to ask was what was the name that you had been given traditionally? Your traditional name, yeah. 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 So in our, um, I was actually given it to me when I was a baby. Um, well, very young. I'll just say I don't know exactly when. Um, but I was taken to an elder uh, because I was quite sick as a baby. And so they prayed over me and they gave me this name to keep me uh, protected through the years. So kind of a special name, but it's because I was born in the season of raspberries. You were born where? In Saskatchewan. You lived in Saskatchewan for how long? Till I was 12. And what brought you out of Saskatchewan? Um, Well, I was going to say that's another story. So I was part of the 60 Scoop. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. means I was apprehended um, wow. when I was about to put into foster care and then adopted and that adoption fell through and I was adopted again into a Christian family and they went into the Salvation Army as um, lay ministers and kind of that's what brought me out of Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. long story short. We had a conversation uh, a number of episodes ago with Bill Adset, who was who was also part of kind of everything that had went on in that time. Um, do you recall that that moment in time where all of a sudden you were you were with uh, your family, and then all of a sudden you're 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 gone, and it's a whole new life for you? I don't remember initially being taken from my family. I was I was quite young. Um, but years later, I reconnected with my family and they kind of filled in some stories, some gaps. But what was really neat kind of about that experience is one day I was sitting with my sister and I was trying to tell her what I did remember of my of my life. And I said, and I have this one image in my head of this, you know, this little person uh, kind of running around this old house. And I started to describe the house and she said, stop. And she went into the other room and she took out a piece of paper and a pen and she kind of sketched this house. And she, I didn't see what the house was because she kind of sketched it in the room. And she came over and she had turned the sheet over upside down. She goes, okay, now describe the house to me. And so I described the house and then she flipped over the page 
and it was that house. And she said, this was the house that you were raised in, the old homestead. Hmm. And so I obviously had a memory from way back then, um, kind of deep there, that I could remember that and had that image. So. How important was it uh, or is it for you to uh, then reconnect with your family all those years later? It's hugely significant. And uh, I know lots of people that have tried to connect with their families and it doesn't always uh, go as well as they had hoped. Um, in my situation, it went probably better than I had hoped, hmm. maybe because I prepared myself for the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I met my family, um, my mom and dad had both passed away. So I met my siblings and a lot of cousins, um, some incredible, remarkable people that have a real uh, warrior spirit, as I would say, that have fought for our for our people. Um, I'm related to uh, the chief, um, but also his mother um, has really advocated strongly for children and the welfare system. So, were there other um, family members who were affected by the sixty scoop in your family? Yeah. So at the same time, um, three of us. So there was ten of us in the family. And uh, some of the older kids went to residential school. My one brother in the middle kind of was hit in the bush because they had heard and experienced what went on at residential school. So um, they hit him with my grandfather in the bush so that he wouldn't be taken. And then us three younger ones, which was a few years later, I guess they thought because we were so young, uh, we were relatively safe um, at that time. But uh, one day my mom went grocery shopping uh, with a friend and left us in the care of a teenage babysitter. And when she had come home, um, there was a piece of paper that was left in English. She only spoke Soto, and uh, which basically said that we'd been apprehended. For people who don't know what the 60s scoop was, do you mind just giving a quick little synopsis as to what it was? Sure. Uh, 60 Scoop was um, initiated by a government policy that wanted to see Indigenous people, children, assimilated into mainstream culture. And so, you know, the residential schools, they could at least go home in the summer and maintain some of their culture. And so as those began to close, they saw the they thought the best way to assimilate us was to totally remove us from our families not just during the school year. And so there are policies that came out that um, allowed for them to totally remove us and to uh, put us into non-Indigenous homes with the intent to assimilate us. Over the last number of years, the residential schools have been brought up and, and you know, kind of the darkness of what was the residential schools. Uh, as somebody who is Indigenous, is it important to bring things like this up from what was, or is it more painful because it brings up a lot of the hurt of the past? Mm. If we shy away from our history, there's always a fear that we will continue to do the same things. And so I think it's really important to know our history, um, not only for, you know, preventative, for, so that we don't repeat the past, but also because I think they're as difficult as it is, I think there's a healing that can take place and uh, uh, restoration, not only of the individual, but also the relationships, I think, with society. Was it hard for you with your own personal faith um, to to rationalize what had happened 
did it make you question, you know, why do I believe this when people who believe this have done this to my, my relatives, mm. my family? Yeah. So growing up, you know, I was adopted into a, a Christian family and I really struggled um, to know where kind of I fit. Um, yeah. You know, growing up in the church, I was told that anything to do with my culture or who I was really was, was evil mm-hmm. um, and needed to be put aside. And so um, it wasn't until I was a young adult, really, that I had an encounter with God um, that was transformational for me. At that point, I was like, okay, I don't really know what all this means. And so I ended up at Bible college of all places. The <laughs> whole other story, because I had no intentions of ever going to Bible college. Um, <laughs> but I ended up there and it was it was great because I was allowed to question I was allowed to put forth some of those questions that and and difficulties I had with Christianity and the faith. And I had great supportive friends and faculty there that kind of helped through that process. You're being told, you know, traditions are wrong and the way of life is wrong. You're being taught differently as you grow up. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is it hard then for you to hide who you were and what your background was because you were ashamed of what the past was? Yeah. So um, growing up, believe it or not, I have really curly hair, straightened it, Um, (laughs) really curly hair. So, uh, you know, at one point in my life, I tried to put that aside and to cover it up. So even when I went to Bible college, I remember not wanting anybody to know I was Indigenous because I grew up in a in a city there where racism was quite strong and overt. Um, and so that was something um, I didn't want to be pigeonholed in any way. Mm-hmm. And so it took a long time for me to kind of work through that. Um, and it wasn't until I moved out of that city and experienced life differently that I realized that um, what I experienced was racism, number one, um, and that life could be different. And so um, working through that was really important and working through it internally, like personally, to realize that God doesn't create um, junk, so to speak. Yeah. That he fearfully and wonderfully made me and he made me indigenous. And that was probably the the one question is, you know, if God had made me indigenous, why um, was this not seen as a good thing? And so if God created, um, what was the purpose in that? And so that's kind of brought me in my own journey to full acceptance. We talk about, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different things that have gone on over the last few years and Black Lives Matter and uh, all the Indigenous stuff that has been brought up. You were saying the different stereotypes in that, there's different forms of racism. Is it better now for the Indigenous community or is all of that still there? It's better in pockets, I'll say. Um, I think in some ways the overt racism um, has actually become more subtle in some ways, or in sometimes it's gone underground. And so people aren't even aware now um, of those. And so, you know, you get things like comments that you, you know, it's just slightly off and you can't quite pigeon it uh, or name it. And so you just, it just leaves you with this uncomfortable feeling. Other times there's just kind of feelings or experiences of avoidance, people will just avoid 
connecting with you. But I think the conversation more recently has become more open. So people are beginning to recognize, beginning to grapple with maybe some of the stereotypes and prejudice that they weren't aware of either. It's interesting because you think about just the generational trauma and Mm. the effects of that. And then, you know, in the indigenous community being put down because of the trauma and their natural and anyone's natural response to that. And it's very tragic. It's, you know, like one group of people put this other group of people into the situation and now you're making fun or belittling them because Mm. of their trauma. And it's, it's really, it's really sad to see. It's heartbreaking. I mean, I had conversation with my boys uh, about this very thing and mm-hmm. you know, they wouldn't have called it even racism growing up. I wouldn't have necessarily identified it for them. But in recent days, just talking about it, they're actually saying, you know what? It actually was mm-hmm. racism, you know, that they experienced. They may have said, oh, I was bullied. Yeah. Um, but where did that come from? And yeah. they're beginning to see some of that. You go off to Bible college. It was then the goal for you to be a pastor or where was, where was like the next step for you? <laughs> I had no goal. <laughs> um, as I said, I had no intentions of going to Bible college. And so I, I um, actually was at invitation of a, a cousin of mine that was part of my adoptive family. I ended up there and I said, okay, I'll do one year, you know, just kind of, or actually I didn't even plan to do one year. I said, I'll just go and check it out. So I just went to check it out and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the classes. I enjoyed the people and the conversations. And um, because I had just gone to check it out, I didn't even register. And so it wasn't until I was coming to final exams in my first semester and the registrar came and said to me, you know, do you think you should register now? And so I registered and I stayed for the year and then I went back to second year, third, uh, third year, fourth year and met my husband there. We were dating and he was a year behind me. So I was graduating and um, he still had a year left and he proposed to me. And so it kind of. I wasn't quite sure what to do with that. And yeah. so I said, I said to him, what am I supposed to do now? So it was not as much a question in, as I look at my life of why me. It's like, what am I supposed to do now is, all, is often my question. What am I supposed to do now? And so I asked my husband, you know, what should I do now? And he said, well, why don't you go do your master's degree? <laughs> and so I said, okay, that was not a thought at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing my master's degree, but yeah, I'll go do my master's degree. And so I went and did my master's degree. Still, ministry was not um, a thought in my mind. Um, and then we we got married, and uh, we ended up working for a for a local church in Chatham, Ontario, actually. And then it was while we were there that God began to plant seeds of full time ministry. And uh, now you find yourself as a, a major Territorial Indigenous Ministries Consultant, Corpse Ministries Department. It's just a really long it's, title. It's the longest <laughs> title of all time. <laughs> Wait, it goes more. The Salvation Army Territorial Headquarters. But yeah. at what point did you find yourself in that role? And was that something that you ever aspired to or thought you would be in? 
So once again, no, it was nothing I ever aspired to because growing up, I didn't want anything to do uh, with my past. And even when we went in for full-time ministry, they asked me at one point, would you consider doing um, native ministry is what they referred to it in those days. And I said, no, I didn't even think about it. It was like, no. Mm -hmm. Um, And so God had to really do some work in me personally, but also with my husband, because in the Salvation Army, we worked together. And so he began to work on me by reconnecting me with my family of origin and overcoming a lot of my own internal issues and fears. Um, He began working on my husband and just kind of planting a real seed of love and compassion. Um, And he was working on his master's degree. And so doing research and just researching the history of Indigenous people Um, within our denomination which really kind of cultivated that in him and so we came to a point where we said yes let's do um, we're open to indigenous ministry and so this was uh, quite a few years after we'd been in ministry and so we ended up uh, doing ministry with a local church um, that was mostly indigenous population from there you know God just kind of kept working in my heart and I was also teaching at the training college as they call it so teaching future ministers um and then I was gonna say God kept working and working and working and um I was asked part-time to do this job and essentially they the job would be when they had a question um, within the denomination they come and ask me the question about indigenous ministry and then they go back with their answer and they do whatever they thought. And I came to the point where I'm like, this is not working for me. This is not working for our people. This is not working for the denomination. So we need to do something differently. And at that time, the truth and reconciliation national events were being held. Mm -hmm. And so I asked my supervisor uh, if he would go with me. And so he went with me to one of them and it was a transformational experience for him. And he came back and he said, how did we not know this mm. history? And we've got to do something differently. And so he said, what do we need to do differently? And so we began having conversation about that. And uh, at one point he said, do you, would you have enough to do this full time? Like, you know, just help create awareness and build bridges. And I'm like, yes, I probably have enough to do full time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have me and actually we now have an associate as well working with me with his ninja. So what does and I mean I don't know if you can break it down on a day-to-day basis but what does that look what does that role look like? A lot of it is education. So educating our clergy, our our congregations, our ministry units just to the history and some of the challenges that we experience as indigenous mm-hmm. people. Um, is also building bridges between communities. And so one of the really neat things that I've been privileged to do is we have this event called Celebration of Culture. And it was called that because Indigenous culture was never really allowed to be celebrated, um, even within the church. And so we have this event um, in the end of August, and it's a learning event, but it's also an build bridging event because we host a little mini powwow on the Saturday. And so we have the indigenous community, um, local 
drummers and dancers and we come together and we celebrate. And so it's been really, it's a highlight probably for me. So we have it every August in Alberta. So when it comes to, you know, taking a look at the things that you are doing and how you are bringing, you know, just encouraging others in their faith and helping the the church community understand in a different kind of way, um, peeling back mm. some of those layers of history. In your opinion, how do you feel the church is doing? Are they responding mm. well? Yeah, I would say for the most part, I think there's a real um, awakening maybe within the church, um, but it's not that it hasn't happened before. And I think that's the part that I have a little bit of hesitancy for mm. is, you know, we've seen mm. these little pockets or segments of time maybe where the church has been open, you know, whether it's been forgotten about or whether it's just kind of not the priority. Um, I would hope that this time it won't happen again, you know, that we'll be looking in 20 years saying, oh, yeah, we forgot about those calls to action. Oh, we forgot about the promises that we made. And so um, I'm hoping we're at a pivotal time in our history that will really bring transformation, not only to the relationship, but also even within denominations that will will do mission or do our ministry differently but it will be much more relational and uh, justice oriented mm-hmm. is your husband indigenous no he is not he is from newfoundland ah, okay nice. so uh, was that was that somewhat eye-opening for him then to be learning uh, kind of as you guys have been going on through this journey he's always been very supportive like even when we were dating he he'd always ask questions um, but he never pushed um, you know, and so he just wanted to know, you know, do you want to know about your family or your culture? Um, and he's always been very patient and supportive. And so, you know, he comes to the powwow with me, he comes to uh, Nate's Indigenous Learning Community, um, where we have a symposium, and he's very supportive of that and just has encouraged my boys even in this journey for them. Speaking of your of your boys, how important, I mean, as, as you're learning about your history and your culture, and, and then how is important is it as a mom to then be teaching your boys about the history and the culture? It's been an important part for me um, because we've been learning together. Hmm. So my oldest, um, you know, he kind of grew up not knowing much of this. And so he's still at a bit of a learning journey uh, at the beginning stages. Um, but my youngest is probably much more fluid and accepting of it. You know, it's not a, it's not as a stark contrast for him. So, mm. um, you know, he's come to the, the celebration of culture and he's done different things with us. Um, my middle guy, the same way he's done some really neat learning journey for him, including taking his own courses at university. And so, yeah, it's been important part, but not one that I wouldn't push one way or the other. Like we would say, Hey, we're going to do this. And, you know, there are lots of times I would go to a powwow and say, do you want to come? And they'd say, no, I don't want to come. It's just a shopping thing for you. mom." I get to do lots of great shopping at Powers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But um, yeah, other times they really want to come and join in. From what I remember growing up and, and learning is that it, a, a culture of, of those who were indigenous, you know, you look at a medicine man or a medicine woman, there's a lot of this spirituality. How is it received with those who um, still practice that maybe? Or, and then you come in and you're talking about Jesus and about God and kind of meshing those two things together. My family, my biological family is very traditional. And so I want to be very respectful right. uh, of that. And, you know, they they might find me a bit intriguing um, in some ways and not quite always understand. And it's not that I necessarily, you know, push Jesus on them. But at, um, but one of my friends who's um, from northern BC gave me some wise words years and years ago. And she's from the Nishka Nation. And she said, you know, so many of our teachings and our traditions, our stories, our ceremonies pointed the way to Jesus. Hmm. Um, But, you know, we didn't receive the gospel story. We received all these other things along the way. And so if we can see within those traditions and those stories and the ceremonies, the gospel story, that will be a good thing. And so, um, you know, I've had conversations where we'll talk about the sweat lodge or we'll talk about um, the sun dance and being able to see the gospel story uh, being told in those things is, is really quite refreshing for many people. I always love the discovery of your, your culture, being a part of the BIPOC community myself um, and trying to learn more about my heritage. And a lot of it was lost to fires or time or the mm-hmm. fact that they didn't take accurate, um, informative, detailed information about their slaves. So those are things I just will never know. So I just mm-hmm. I love that there's still elements and so many elements of your culture that you guys are still able to uh, embrace and, and pass on to that next generation and it's just, it's exciting and encouraging to see the conversations happening. And if someone wanted to be more a part of what was going on and just, you know, I think the movement, hopefully being more inclusive and understanding um, generational trauma and pain and just people, uh, what would you suggest they do to be able to to learn more and to put the words into action? I was going to say there are a lot of more resources in recent mm-hmm. days, whether it's reading books, um, whether it's watching movies. Um, and being able to connect with um, Indigenous teachers and scholars, even. You know, I have a friend that's now journeying on, um, but I remember somebody asking him, you know, what do, what do we do kind of thing? He would just say, just come sit with us, come mm-hmm. be with us, and and be our friend. And as you develop that friendship really you begin to hear the things that concern us the things that make us weep the things that bring us joy and as you do our concerns and um, become your concerns and together then we can work towards a better tomorrow Hmm. and so I just say you know get to know people get to know people um, and start building those relationships and 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 don't go in necessarily with the answers or with your preconceived, um, even theological responses, but rather look to see where Jesus and the gospel story is being told 
and look to see where God is already working among people. Well, this is the Why Me Project podcast, and you kind of alluded to it already, but as you reflect during your lifetime, were there moments where you had said, why me, whether it was in the valleys or the mountaintops of life? thought a lot about that question because I'm not sure that's a question I would even ask um, <laughs> even today. Why me? Because um, my response would be maybe why not me? But mm-hmm. um, in those events, because, you know, there's lots of valley experiences, there's lots of mountaintop experiences that people can look back. Now, I, I think my question is, what do I do with that? How do I choose to respond um, in that? And how do I see... Um, you know, creator's hand in that. Um, And I think those are probably the important pieces for me. And I don't always know the answer to them right away. You know, like a door might open and I'm like, okay, what do I do now? You know, and so my answer is I'm just going to walk through the open door Mm. and trust um, the one that made me, um, that he will continue to direct my paths in that way. And so you know, he's opened lots of doors um, and sometimes there have been doors that have been shut. And so I trust him for those as well. Um, but, yeah, those are kind of the things I would say is, you know, what what do I do? And one of the um, probably there was a time when I did ask, actually, what do I do with this event? And that's um, a few years ago now um, I had. A couple transient ischemic attacks or like mini strokes, um, and they couldn't figure out what was causing them. Mm. And I ended up in the hospital and they did a bunch of tests and they found out I was born with multiple holes in my heart. Before they found out the holes, there was one night um, where I actually didn't think I was going to make it. Um, I started having a, a, a big episode, as I say, and uh I basically lost all movement in my arms and my legs and my left side of my face. And the only part that would move is my right side of my face. And I remember calling for pastoral support for my husband because I didn't think I would make it. And uh, I obviously made it. And it was one of those pieces or one of those times, I would say, in my life where I said, okay, God, you have done a miraculous work. And you have saved me for something. And so it was the question, you know, what do I do with this? What is it that you want um, in my life that you've kind of saved me for a particular reason? Um, And so that's, you know, that happened a few years before I became the Territorial Indigenous Ministry Consultant. Mm -hmm. And so as I kind of look back now, I say, you know, God had a lot for me to do. Um, and he still has a lot for me to do. So we've come so far, but yet we have uh, so much to learn. Uh, SalvationArmy.ca, Sherry, we are so glad that we had a chance to uh, do this with you today. Thank you. See, and we go into this each week because we're going to learn something and we're going to hopefully embark a conversation that needs to be had, whatever that conversation is. Yeah, 100%. And so I just hope this encourages you to have. Um, good conversations with people. And I just love how she's was talking about like, we need to connect. We need to know each other mm. in order to grow with each other. Yeah. So and, it's uh, yeah. And when we think that we have it all figured out, 
and you think that we're all good and there's going to be no other problems. There's going to be more issues that are going to pop up. There's going to be more things that we're going to have to deal with and more conversations that are going to have to be had. Absolutely. It's like the more you know, the more you realize you have so much more to go. (laughs) A wise man knows he knows nothing. Exactly. We're very thankful to Sherry Russell for spending some time with us to share her story. She's a territorial indigenous ministries consultant. I think I said it right that time. You got and, it. You're good. Uh, yes, points. Just, you know, what an incredible journey she has been on. I'm so grateful that she's been able to connect with her family because it just helps, I think, us too, as we share those kinds of stories, have a better understanding. And our shout out is going to who, who, uh, who got us in touch with Sherry? Ah, a friend of mine, Christina Claflam. She is from uh, Edmonton, Alberta area. So thank you so much, Christina, for listening to the YMU Project and for sending us into the direction of Sherry. There you go. So reach out to us, Instagram or Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, wherever. You can always email us, whymeproject.outlook.com. And then there's all the different places that you could download us. Yes, pretty much every single platform. that There's a podcast, you will find Whymey Project. And you can check us out at faithstrongtoday.com. 